Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. I'm Lisa Hancock, Director of Worship Arts. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, Executive Director of Worship Resources and Director of Music Ministries. During this time of transition from virtual to online and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Reverend Dr. Scott Hughes. Scott is the new Associate General Secretary of World Services, while still temporarily serving as Director of Adult Discipleship at Discipleship Ministries. He is an elder in the North Georgia Conference, a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary, where he earned a Master of Divinity, and he also earned a D-Min from Southern Methodist University. Dr. Hughes has co-hosted the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast and is the creator of the Courageous Conversations Project. He's also the facilitator of several e-learning courses, including the Church's Ministry with Dementia, How to Start Small Groups, and Courageous Conversations. In addition, Scott has also led several trainings around intentional discipleship systems. Scott is from the Atlanta area and currently lives in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, where he attends Providence UMC with his family. Scott is an enthusiast photographer, particularly landscapes and high school sports. Welcome, Scott. We are delighted to have you as our guest today. We like to start our conversations together just by asking, can you tell us how you're doing and what you're up to during this time? Thanks so much, Lisa. In terms of how I'm doing, I would say, I'd say I'm fortunate. Uh, I'm fortunate to be with y'all. I'm fortunate to have y'all as colleagues, fortunate to serve the church in this way. Perhaps like like y'all, I have lots of friends who are pastors, and as I do a lot of listening to them and where they're at and hear the pressures that they're facing, I feel even more fortunate to be doing what we're doing. We certainly try our best to resource them, equip them, and in a sense, kind of be in the boat with them during the storm and challenging times. But we're not, right? We're not doing the same things. And so I'm fortunate to be doing this work. I'm glad to, to be doing it and, and hopefully do it well. Did you pick up any new hobbies while we were in this quarantine time of pandemic that maybe you've now kept doing? I don't know that I picked up any new ones as much as I went to back to some old ones, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mostly the photography. I really enjoy doing photography, and I'll take pictures of anybody and anything. So <laughs> just enhancing what I do with that when I'm I'm not doing this work usually can be found somewhere taking pictures of, of something or somebody. So, yeah. And I do like to juggle on occasion, too. So I did a lot of that <laughs> when it was, you know, the hardcore quarantine time, I did some juggling and thankfully my son is recently picking it up. And so it's kind of fun to watch him do that. So yeah. well, we might need to circle back to that juggling. Yes. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. It's like, do it's you not, do those? I promise it's not, it does not pick up the ladies. That's for sure. Uh, 
that's a Big Bang Theory reference, by the way. Is it chainsaws and axes and flaming things or? <laughs> oh, definitely not. I have enough medical issues. My wife would not let me do that. No. <laughs> Well, speaking of flaming things, (laughs) that's a good transition. Thanks, Derek. There have been several transitions at Discipleship Ministries, and you are now leading the World Service team, which is made up of six smaller teams. I mean, it's a big job. So I'd like for you to tell us what you see as the greatest opportunities and perhaps also the greatest challenges you foresee and how DM might be able to support the local church during this time? Yeah, it's a great question, Diana. And I guess the the challenges are the opportunities. That may be a little cliche, I guess, right? We've mentioned some of that already in terms of the issues that pastors are facing, right? The hyper-partisanship. What does it look like now post-pandemic, if that's the right phrase for the time that we're in, right? And there's there's not guides, mentors for this current time, right? And that's that's a challenge, but also I think an opportunity for us as an agency to to do what we've been tasked to do, which is to challenge and support local church and annual conference leaders in their task of making disciples. How do we help keep the focus on disciple making even as the church splinters? How do we keep the focus on discipleship during this time? And what can we how can we help do that work is is a challenge because we don't have all the answers, right? We The question we get, at least I get most often is, well, just give us the curriculum. Tell us how to do this, right? And I, I wish we had that, right, in some senses, but we know that ministry is contextual. And so we, we can't just write one curriculum and therefore serve everybody. So it, it's a challenge during this time, but I hope it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge that we've got the right people in place to to meet. And I look forward to continuing to help these teams dream bigger. I help hope help help these teams to envision where God is leading us as a church during this time. It, it is challenging, but I, I do think we can help do some of that work. Do you see some hopeful signs being in your leadership position? And you were saying earlier you have conversations with people and mm-hmm. um so what are some I think one of the things that our agency can do is continue to provide a sense of hope for the future. Certainly, we we know it's there biblically. <laughs> but what what do you see as signs of hope for the future in the next few years? I think one of the things I'm seeing is church leaders, and I mean whether it's bishops or annual conference staffs, asking the right sorts of questions. So I think that's a hopeful sign. Right. I know some recent conversations have been illuminating where annual conference leaders kind of look around the room and say, you know, staffing wise, we're staffed for new church starts. We're staffed for church revitalization, but we're not exactly staffed for discipleship. And I see that as an opportunity for us to to help fill that gap. And, And I'm glad people are recognizing if this is our task, make disciples who make disciples. How can we then as an agency step in and help churches and church leaders to think about how we're forming disciples through worship, through outreach, through small groups, all those various ministries that the church takes on? How do they link back to discipleship formation? I think one one of the things to pay attention to, Scott, is that though your title has changed and 
responsibilities have changed. Your mission has not changed. Mm -hmm. You have always been focused on discipleship, how to make disciples and how to help people help disciples make disciples, as, as you were saying. So so that continues in your new role. Of, in fact, maybe even enhanced a, a little bit because you have a wider spectrum in which to work. And that's one thing we've appreciated about you and, and are excited about working with you in this in this new role, keeping our feet even in the worship team on this task of making disciples. Yeah. Out of all the things that, that you have your hand in helping to develop here at the agency. There are many things that we could spend quite a bit of time talking about. Uh, we've named some of them already, but but it's the Courageous Conversations Project that really, I think, is, is one of those things that I think the church needs to utilize more than it has. Because as you said, the hyper-partisanship and, and the divisions in our society, you know, I think this is one avenue that the church has, one of the tools in the toolbox to help us navigate this time. Can you sort of describe a little bit about how you envision that project, what's involved in it. We don't have all day. I know you could spend hours, you teach courses on this, but but just briefly sum it up for us so that people might want to look for more information. Sure. That's a great question. And I enjoy talking about it. And uh, my shorthand for Courageous Conversations is structured dialogues for learning. I enjoyed the the podcast y'all recently had with Dr. William Brown and the way y'all talked about dialogue with him. Uh, for me, the genesis of this project in 2015, which I guess seems like a lifetime ago, I mean, this is pre-Trump, pre-General Conference 2016, mm-hmm. uh, right? And, and my the questions I was asking as newly director of adult discipleship was how do adults learn? And some of the research I did, I found out, you know, we, we learn through conversation with others. We learn through questioning assumptions. And so for me, Creative Conversations is a, a learning tool, really. It's about how do we learn from each other in conversation? How do we set up the right structures to hear one another, to listen well, and to learn? And the goal then is, is learning, Mm-hmm. Um, and and so how do we do that well? And so that that's always been the impetus for me in this project. And it's a tool, lots of resources in this toolbox that can help us have conversation, whether it's about the color of the carpet, human sexuality, whatever. How do we learn well? And, and that isn't easy. I think for me, I thought that when we encounter opinions different than our own, we just examined them, took them in, thought about them, and compared and contrasted. And and really what I learned is what happens when we encounter a perspective different from our own. Blood drains from our brain into our hands and to our feet. We are ready to flee and to fight. Mm -hmm. We are not ready to learn. Mm. So how do we set up structures that neurologically is safe enough that we might learn from one another? That's the short version. I I think that's one of the keys to this Courageous conversation. Project. We have to relearn how to have conversations, <laughs> regardless of the subject matter. We've got because conversations in the world we're in today are about winning. That's right. Or determining who's right and who's wrong. That's right. You're saying no. They're about learning, which is a whole different mindset. You know, and and even in the church, we have this this shift to saying my my way, my idea, my belief has to win. You know, I mm. see that in Facebook conversations, in clergy groups, you know, we're mm-hmm. always doing that. So 
So how do you start with that fundamental shift of what we're really trying to do together? Where does that begin for you? Yeah, and I think the the way that I, I heard Dr. Brown, the way that I'm using dialogue is a technical term. You know, the title is Courageous Conversations, but really it, it is about dialogue. And I contrast that with debate. And that's what's modeled for us on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Is our politicians debate one another. There's a winner. There's a loser. You're looking for the weakness to attack. Whereas a dialogue is about how we expand our perspective. There's a willingness to learn. And I would add to that, it's about relationship, mm. right? In the church, we are, in a sense, blood relatives, right? We, we, we are saved by, by the blood, right? Mm-hmm. To use that analogy, right? We are covenant members of each other. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to take that we are family seriously, how do we learn from one another? How do we listen and learn from one another and not see each other as opponents, and I think that's part of the biggest shift right now is in this hyper-partisan age, it's opponents. It, and when there's, and, and notice the war, culture war analogies, you have to defeat the enemy. And, and that should be nowhere in the way that we have dialogue, conversation with one another. It ought to be submitting to one another, listening to one another, a desire to know each other more fully and and know that you know, as Paul says, we see through a mirror dimly. We don't have all the answers, mm-hmm. right? We need each other's perspectives. Mm-hmm. The phrase I like to use is taking on the posture of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so my dream for the church is that we would be a learning community such that the world comes to us and say, how is it that y'all disagree and yet love one another? Mm-hmm. We ought to be the model. We ought to be the witness to the world. of This is what it looks like to, to be in disagreement. To, to know that we're saved by faith, which is means not certainty. We don't, we don't have all the answers, right? right? But we, we love one another. We love Jesus. And, and therefore, we're going to work through this together, even when we disagree. Which means it comes back to making disciples. It's about discipleship and who we are yep. as followers of Christ. And we bring that reality, that personality into these dialogues, into these conversations. Can, can you tell us, maybe a quick story about a church that you worked with? Because I know you walked with some churches through the process early on. Can you tell us a story about how the change happened in in the group as you saw it? Yeah, I don't know that one particular sticks out, I think. And what's interesting to me is where they end up, you know, may not be where I wish they would end up, but my hope is that there's a bond that grows through the process when the process goes well. And I think, you know, that's where I would encourage folks is worry about the process. Mm-hmm. Trust that Christ and the Holy Spirit is with us in the process and leave the results up, right? That let's worry about, and that's why I use the word structured dialogues for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make sure that the structure enables us that this conversation is going to value each other. And so I've seen churches, you know, disaffiliate, seen churches not to choose to do that. But I think more importantly, to do so with the end goal of, of learning and being closer together so that we move together in this. And, and that's the most important is we move together. Does that mm-hmm. help kind of get at your question there? Well, it comes, it comes back to relationship again, as you were saying before, you know, 
Well, it seems that um, to get to the place of the courageous conversations and this dialogue, that you have to till the ground ahead of time, right? Yes. Everything I'm hearing says you really take a a vulnerable posture when you're willing to listen to somebody or to an issue or whatever is before us in in a place of, as you said, learning, but also letting go of our own presuppositions, right? Yeah. And one of the things uh, Bill Brown said last week is that dialogue is not we're not trying to reach consensus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think about the mm-hmm. local church, we're always making decisions. You know, the administrative council gets together, we want to make a decision. And again, you have some people that aren't going to agree with the decision and others right. that are. And so you're back to how do we listen to everyone? And again, I think it's, it goes back to vulnerability. It does. And I, I would actually say uh, worship really helps with this, right? Mm-hmm. When worship is done right, it helps us to be vulnerable before God. It helps us to be vulnerable with one another. When we look at our our liturgies, uh, I mean, I really appreciate the prayer of confession for for communion, mm-hmm. and I think that's an underutilized resource in our churches to help us be mindful of we have sinned, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we we're not perfect, we've failed our neighbors, um, and free us for joyful obedience. Right, mm-hmm. that we we need to see that we are all equal at that table, right? To build on that analogy from from that previous conversation, right? That we come to this equally, whether we've mastered you know, more of Scripture or less, whether we're more um, endowed theologically than others, we still come to this table at the, you know, at the feet of Jesus. And so if we, I think worship can, plays a vital role in this and in helping inform us as humble disciples who have strong convictions, right? We say the creeds in worship, right? These these help bring us convictions, which ought to be separate from our opinions. Mm. And that's a hard for some people to make right now is their convictions and their opinions. And there's a lot of confusion. And I think worship might help us with making that distinction more clear. I'm thinking particularly about Christian nationalism, just to name that, that's kind of, <laughs> uh, to bring that forward. Yeah, one one of our emphases is always to say, how does worship inform our lives? Mm-hmm. Or how are our lives enhanced by worship? You know, whether it's worship in the gathered time, the the hour on Sunday morning or whenever, or or a life of worship that, that goes on. And and that's one of the links that, that I think in the future we need to enhance a little bit with courageous conversations, but other things as well. How does how does worship aid in that process, in those conversations, those those face-to-face? How does it, as Diana says, till the ground, prepare us mm-hmm. for that sort of thing and, and to show those connections? I think that would be helpful. I think, you know, what you name there, and, and I'm, I'm treading on some dangerous ground here with, with Derek being much more the Greek and Hebrew scholar than I am, uh, but worship and, and thinking about, what is it, prosthukiste or whatever the Greek word is there, right, of the, the prostate, right, being prostate before the Lord, right, that we are bowing in, in submission before God. That's the posture, right? If, if we can bend our proud backs and be humble before God, I think that helps us be more vulnerable with one another. Did that, any of that make sense? Yeah. Or did I just well, go oh, yeah. 
Except it's prostrate. Make sure make sure you say prostrate. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I always yeah, that's not humiliating at all. Yeah, thank you. Prostate is something else that we're not going to get into at the moment, but but that, that act of humility, that, that yeah. bowing before God is is certainly very much yeah. center to how we understand worship. Thanks for yeah. correcting me, by the way. That, that, <laughs> I, I needed that. Because when I said it, I was like, wait a second, I'm saying the wrong thing. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are. Yeah. I also really appreciate you bringing forth kind of that embodied image mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I don't know how many times we say something like, I fall prostrate before you or something like that. And yet we're like sitting in our pews or we're standing mm-hmm. up tall. And so thinking through, we're not necessarily asking people to fully embody that. Their spaces may not even allow that, right? But to really invite reflection on that embodied stance um, and posture. I'm also so struck by that in comparison to, but I think it was Martin Luther who talked about that sin curves us into Mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's such an interesting thing too, because it sounds like from the experiences you've had and the, the research you've done to kind of pull together these courageous conversation resources, it's not just about like, being unwilling to prostrate ourselves and humble ourselves before God and one another, but perhaps also kind of having to to straighten us into that mm. in, that stance out of the turn into the self that cares, cares about the self winning or my side winning mm. versus there's a vulnerability. I mean, there's just an actual body bodily mm. vulnerability to becoming uncurved, right? From uncurving from the self and towards God and neighbor. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, if church history serves me here, right? It's Luther building on Augustine mm-hmm. or, or Augustine. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong yeah. as well. Uh, <laughs> um, but you're right, that curvature upon ourselves, right? And I think in our individualist culture, that's a greater temptation, mm-hmm. right? That, that it, it becomes... Even the way we talk about care and compassion ends up being just about those that we want to extend, those who look like us or think like us. That's who we extend compare, com, compassion and care to, mm-hmm. right? And I, th- I think you're right that if, and then I think embodying in worship might really be beneficial. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I like, I go to a Catholic Benedictine monastery on occasion and, you know, kneeling Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of kneeling, and 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 I need that, right? I need that posture that tells my body. Yeah, someone described Gothic architecture this way: "There's there's God up there. You're not it. Kneel and pray, <laughs> yes. or shut up and kneel, or something like that." <laughs> and and I and I think we need that at times, right? We need that sense of awe, right? And, and we need that sense of let's just kneel and and listen and be silent and you know, open our hands and whatever those mm-hmm. forms of embodiment I, I think are crucial to helping us to uh, to do that work well. And what a wonderful way to counter the fight and or flight exactly. em- emotion that comes up when we are challenged, our views are challenged. And to then to think, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to bow. I'm going to let go. Yeah. Wow. This is a great conversation. Thank you, Scott, for being with us today. Before we wrap up, could you tell people 
um, how they could engage with this program if, if this is something they think, oh, our church needs this or a small group that they're with needs this. Yeah, I'd say there's there's two main ways. One is just on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. There's a Courageous Conversations page, and there's, I call it a toolbox of resources. There's sample outlines. There's sample covenants. I always encourage churches, if they're going to have these conversations, have a covenant. We've got some sample covenants to use. There's also the e-learning course. And what I like about the e-learning course is it walks through pretty systematically how to set this up. One of the other things I encourage churches to do is set up a design team to help think through what are all the elements that need to be in place for this to go well and to have a design team that's ideologically broad so that people in in the pews can say, oh, I see myself in this. Uh, If if that person's a part of this, then I'll be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the e-learning course walks people through how to do this. So I I would encourage folks to, to look at that. Great. Thanks so much, Scott. And thank you for saying yes to being the Associate General Secretary at Discipleship Ministries. We are delighted to be working with you and, and look forward to what's coming up. And I want to thank everyone else who's joined us today for our podcast. And we hope this conversation has been helpful to you. Remember that you can find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. We want you to tell us what you think, so send us an email. Let's be in dialogue together. Until next time, we'll be praying for and with you and your congregation. May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.